0: Lap banding of the stomach is a new tool in our fight against the national epidemic of obesity. Where is its place with physicians' present recommendation of lifestyle changes and diet to deal with this health problem? You're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on MD XM One Sixty, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today with us, our guest is Dr. Diana Zuckerman, president of the National Research Center for Women and Families and its Cancer Prevention and Treatment Fund. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. What is lap banding, and who has the FDA approved its use for?
1: Okay, sure. Well, the lap band is a medical device that is a permanent device and that's put in the stomach area to reduce the size of the stomach in terms of what amount of food a person can eat. It's a very drastic Result. So although the surgery is quite simple, often takes 20 to 30 minutes, the result is very drastic in that people really cannot eat a regular-sized meal anymore. It's not just that they can't eat some huge Thanksgiving dinner. They actually can't eat even what would be considered a regular-sized meal without feeling sick. So it's a real lifestyle change, and it's chosen by people who, want to dramatically lose weight. This is not for people who want to lose 20 pounds. This is for people who want to lose 100 pounds or even more. So it's an alternative to other kinds of bariatric surgery, such as gastric bypass surgery. And it's considered less radical than gastric bypass surgery because the band can be removed.
0: And has the FDA set any kind of guidelines about whom this should be used on? I mean, a criteria of weight or comorbidity, for example.
1: Yes, exactly. When the FDA approved lap bands in 2001, they had restrictions, and the restrictions were based on two criteria. One is they knew that there would be risks for this surgery, so they wanted to make sure that the benefits would outweigh the risks. And also, and perhaps for that reason, the studies were limited to who could be in them. So as I said, it's not for people who want to lose 20 or 30 pounds. The surgery was originally limited to a BMI of 40 or more, unless there were serious comorbidities related to weight. So if a person had a BMI of 35 with serious comorbidities, they would be eligible. Those did not have to be things like diabetes or heart disease. They could be other kinds of comorbidities such as osteoarthritis of the knees or hips that could improve if the person weighed less, for example. So it wasn't necessarily people who were in immediate danger of dying from overweight, but it was intended for people with real strong risks associated with being overweight.
0: You wrote an article in the New York Times about the FDA deciding to expand the group of patients and lowering the criteria of those who are eligible for lap banding. Can you explain this?
1: Yes, that's absolutely correct. And this was not FDA's idea. This was the company's idea. I see. They asked, could they lower the BMI criteria to 35 for people with no comorbidities and to 30 for people with some kind of serious comorbidity. As a result, the FDA said, well, do a study of people in that weight group and show us the data and then we'll decide what to do. Because again, they wanted to make sure that this was a procedure where the benefits would outweigh the risks and obviously the benefits are less impressive when a person is for example five foot six and weighs 186 pounds than if that person is five foot six and weighs 250 pounds. So the benefits are lower when the people are less overweight but the risks are potentially the same or they could be different. So that was the purpose of requiring more studies, and those are the studies that the FDA has recently reviewed and had a meeting, a public meeting, with their advisory committee on the topic to see what should they do.
0: And what did this advisory committee recommend?
1: The advisory committee was quite critical of the company's research. The study of people at this lower BMI only had about 149 patients, Almost all of them were women. There were only 14 men in the entire study. Most of the patients were white. There were hardly any African Americans or Hispanics or Asians, for example. And, and that could be important because, as you know, there's some severe problems with obesity in different minority groups, not just white people. And so you would want to know if this lap band is safe and effective for everyone, and one might assume it would be equally safe and effective regardless of whether it's a man or a woman or a person of color or a white person, but in fact, in the study that was provided to the FDA, the men didn't do too well. They didn't do nearly as well as the women. They were much more likely to have problems and much more likely to have their lap band removed in a short period of time. And that, I should say, is consistent with other studies that were reported by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, which is another federal agency, and they had reported in their report on bariatric surgery more generally that men were three times as likely to die when they have bariatric surgery than women. So there's reasons to be concerned about whether men are going to do well, and it's very unfortunate, of course, when you only have 14 men in a study because you really can't say anything based on that. But despite these very heavy criticisms of the studies, most of the people on the advisory committee did recommend expanding approval, mainly because they see obesity as a very serious problem that is very difficult to treat. And so their feeling was that it's better to have this as an option and to not have
0: it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest is Dr. Diana Zuckerman, president of the National Research Center for Women and Families in Washington, D.C., and we're talking about lowering the BMI threshold for lap bands. We talked about comorbidity, and you brought up the question of older people who are more likely to have comorbidity, heart disease, arthritis. Is there any studies to show that their comorbidity, and we know diabetes certainly is improved when people lose weight, what about the other comorbidities that are used to qualify? What happened to them? Did they benefit?
1: Well, the big issue here, and it's a really interesting one, is there doesn't seem to be any doubt that when people lose weight, whether they lose weight naturally by diet and exercise or if they lose weight through bariatric surgery, absolutely it seems to improve their health in terms of diabetes, heart disease, potentially arthritis, although that might take longer to study. But the problem in using that information and knowing what to do with it, is that the studies have all been very short term. So we know that when a person gets a gastric lap band, they lose weight dramatically, or at least they can. Not everybody loses weight. In fact, some people don't lose any weight from a gastric lap band, presumably because they end up eating small amounts of food all day long, and that doesn't help them lose weight. But people can lose 100 pounds or even more within six months or within 12 months, but most of the studies seem to show that that weight loss stops after about a year. So most of the weight is lost within the first six or 12 months, and then after that, at best, it stabilizes, and at worst, the people start gaining weight back. So although in the short term, there is no doubt that this can be very helpful in terms of a person's health. What we don't know is, what, you know, what's that person going to look like two or three years down the road? Are they going to still have lost that 100 pounds, or will they have gained some or even all of it back, and, you know, just the way people often do when they try diet and exercise? So my concern and what I wrote about in the New York Times article I wrote, and you know, the concerns that we have at our center is that we need to know, you know, when people have bariatric surgery and particularly something like a lap band, which is going to deteriorate in the body over time, there's no doubt about that. And the research has shown that, you know, people have to have their lap bands adjusted. They have to have them removed and replaced. Some people have them removed and not replaced because they hate them. Some people benefit. Some people don't in the short run, but what we don't know is, you know, what happens to people after nine years of having a lap band? They've been approved in this country for almost 10 years now. So what happens a few years down the road? Are, have they kept that weight off? Have they benefited in terms of their health? Or have they ended up with perhaps a small weight loss that's cosmetic but not going to affect their health or maybe gained it all back And even more back? Those are the questions that really need to be answered. And we don't know the answer to that question whether the person was morbidly obese or just slightly obese.
0: I recently went on the internet because I knew I was talking to you. Certainly, there's lots of commercial advertisements for this procedure. The study that you quoted deals with people 55 and above, I believe. Nobody on the internet was 55. They were all women, looked fairly attractive to me. They certainly did not look morbidly obese. And these were the people that the companies were appealing to. So my question is, is there an age cutoff for this? We've talked about leaving this band in for an indeterminate period of time. If you're 30 years old when you have it put in, There's got to be an added significance to this and an added concern, and it appears that the commercial appeal isn't to the people who are in this study, the morbidly obese, but to the general population who want to be, shall we say, more attractive.
1: Well, that's exactly the concern. This is a dramatic surgery, as I said, not because it takes a long time. It doesn't. 20 to 30 minutes seems to be typical now. It used to be longer, but now it's often an outpatient procedure that's very quick. But that's because, as you said, a lot of the people getting it are young and healthy. You know, they're supposed to have a comorbid condition. Maybe they do, but maybe that comorbid condition isn't a really serious one. So the surgery is pretty quick. The other thing is that the studies that were provided to the FDA were all based on patients 55 and under. There were no patients over 55, and yet Medicare is paying for these surgeries, and one might ask, why is Medicare paying for a surgery that has never been tested on people over 65, which is what Medicare is for? Not only not study people over 65, haven't even studied people over 55, because we don't really know how well a person's going to adjust to this huge lifestyle change and of course they're supposed to have health problems in order to be eligible for this the lap band so we really know very little about how safe or how effective this lap band is for people over 55 In terms of the advertisements, they have been accused of being very misleading. I mean, you have these ads that say, save your life today and, you know, change your life today, but we don't have data showing how many people really have health benefits from lap bands. We know that it would be possible if you get a lap band and you lose 100 pounds and you keep it off, it is absolutely possible for you to have tremendous health benefits But we don't know if the number of people who have that experience is 1% or 30%. We know it's not 100%.
0: It sounds like it's too early to play with this band, and maybe we should be performing solo with exercise and diet. We have been talking to Dr. Diana Zuckerman about lowering the BMI threshold for lap bands. Dr. Zuckerman, thank you very much for being our guest.
1: Thank you for inviting
0: me. And I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on ReachMDXM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at reachmd.com, and as always, thank you for listening.